You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I talk with real estate expert Neil Bawa. Neil is the founder and CEO of Grow Capitus, CEO of Multifamily U, co-founder of the largest multifamily real estate investing meetup in the US, and he has successfully navigated the sale of a large tech startup as the chief operations officer and executive VP. He has raised tens of millions of dollars in real estate funding and currently has over a thousand units in his portfolio, which is expected to grow to over 3,000 units in the next 12 months. Neil is a passionate teacher that looks to share all that he's learned throughout his journey with the next generation of real estate investors. I hope you greatly enjoy this fantastic conversation with Neil Bawa. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Neil Bawa from Grow Capitus and Multifamily U. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. For the listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you please walk us through your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Unlike most of the people that appear on your show, I'm, I'm not you know somebody that's real estate royalty. I'm, I'm a technologist that accidentally found his way to real estate. Basically, in kind of a reverse fashion, most people start with a single family rental. Uh, But in 2003, my boss, who was the CEO of a technology education company, asked me for help to build campuses from scratch. We were doing well, we had a lot of money. And so he asked me to, uh, to help with that. And that led to nine months of sheer terror. I think I slept for, you know, maybe six hours in those nine months. But at the end of it, we had a stunning campus that vaulted our business to the next level and made it impossible for our San Francisco Bay Area competitors to compete with us. It was optimized in every which way for our business where everyone else was just renting space. And I realized the incredible power of real estate. And then, you know, things sort of just built from there. Did you wait to leave your corporate career before you jumped into real estate? The corporate career was very lucrative. I'm making a huge amount of money. And also, my, I knew that eventually my senior partner and CEO would quit. and Not quit, but he would sell the business and I was a partner. So I couldn't leave that large an amount of money and, and run off to real estate. But I did plenty of real estate while doing this. So the company was not sold until mid-2013, which was you know almost 10 years after we started building this first campus. Two years after we built that first one, we built a second campus. And this time with, with, that, with that CEO's help, we actually brought in investors. And basically what we did was we took the building and you've heard about condominiumizing you know, apartment complexes. We condominiumized a office building. It can be done. We basically chopped it up into individual offices and everybody had their own condo and everybody had their own address, but we were the tenant. So we bought the building, we built the building and nine doctor investors invested into the building. And then we rented the units once they were complete back from them. It was a sweet deal for them because you know that was 2007 and 11 years later, those units are still rented. So back to that business, we've sold it, but it's still rented back to that business. So I, I think it was a, a win, 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 win for everybody that was concerned. So it was, a, it was you know, delightful. And, and as it happened that one of those doctors jumped out, so I ended up buying one of those suites myself. And then I realized the incredible power of depreciation because for the first time in a long time, my salary went up and my taxes went down, which was awesome, which is <laughs> incredibly awesome. And I was like, like, I got to do more of this real estate stuff. It is, this is absolutely incredible. 
And so uh, in 2008, I started basically my my non-construction real estate journey, bought 10 homes in, in uh, California. Then I ended up buying 10 triplexes in Chicago. Then I ended up investing in 16 syndications, opened my own meetup group. I mean, it just sort of snowballed over a decade and a half. Then I started you know, teaching at, at meetups, then started teaching at conferences, then built my own Udemy course. And so it sort of snowballed, but none of it was planned. It just sort of happened. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to get into real estate. So for those listening to the show that might be new to real estate, can you explain what a triplex is and what a syndication is? Sure. So a syndication is a process where you're looking to buy something that's institutional class, a large asset. So my next project is a Atlanta property that comes out in 15 days and it's a $24 million property. Why am I buying a $24 million property? Why not buy basically a triplex, which is, you know, three, it's a, it's a building that has three units, right? It's triplex, quadplex has four units. Why not buy those? And the answer is scale. The problem with buying a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex is you don't have a property manager at the property. So you don't really have the level of control that you want. You have a property manager that's managing a thousand units and maybe sometime he'll pay attention to your triplex. When you buy a $25 million asset, you have five to six employees that work at the property. And many of them actually live in your apartment complex because you tend to offer them discounts if they live there, right? That makes their life easier and your life easier because if uh, there's a pipe that bursts at 11 o'clock, the main this guy just lives in one of the units, he's going to get there in 15 minutes and you're going to save $100,000 on your laminate. So the level of control that you have on a 250 unit, $25 million property is in a completely different class from a single family rental, a quadplex, you know, or even a small five or 10 unit property. And it's not just the level of control. It's the fact that you have efficiencies of scale. You know, when you want to do a rehab on a 250 unit, you have 250 units to rehab. Guess what? You can choose to buy the laminate instead of buying it from Home Depot, you can choose to go to Alibaba.com and buy it in a single shipping container from China and basically pay half of what you would be paying at Home Depot and have that shipping container delivered in the back of your property, just taking up two parking spots and lock it with a padlock. And then whenever you need it, just go to the shipping container and take your laminate out. You realize just how insanely efficient that is? I mean, you're not running to Home Depot every single day. You've got all of this stuff in the back. You do the same thing with with other pieces of equipment. When you're buying uh, appliances, you don't buy one, you buy 30, you buy sets of 30. You wait for Best Buy to have a deal, you wait for you know Price to have a deal, and you basically buy 20 or 30 sets. You get huge, huge uh, efficiencies of scale. Instead of hiring a contractor at 75 or $125 an hour, you hire a full-time employee at 20 bucks an hour that is going to just do laminate in 250 units. Laminate today, laminate tomorrow, laminate next week. And, and basically that way you can roll out your upgrades. You know, in our world, we, when we spent $7,000 on a unit, we're like, oh my God, we spent a lot. Imagine spending $7,000 on a single family upgrade. You'll be, you know, you'll be done with that in the first three days, right? In our world, 7,000 is a huge upgrade. We call it the premium upgrade. So I think that the efficiencies that come with large properties can only come if you're buying something that's really expensive, 20 30, $25 million with six employees. Well, how do you buy that? I mean, no one investor has the money to pay six or $7 million down for a $25 million property. So what you do is you take take $100,000 from 60 investors and you aggregate it together in one LLC and you buy the property in the LLC. And then you give fractional profits, both cash flow and, and upside at the end to those investors. And that is known as a syndication. And it's very, very popular in the US, especially since the 2014 Jobs Act that made it much easier to syndicate. 
Yeah, that's a great example of of what syndication is. And the efficiencies are, like you said, incredible. When you're buying at scale like that, you can negotiate such discounts. And again, you can kind of avoid the retail outlets like Home Depot and go directly to the source and get much better deals. Not just not just for uh, equipment, but also for staff, right? Because if you are going out there to bring in a contractor, he's going to basically ask for 75 or 125 bucks an hour. Plus, you don't have any control over him because he can just come and go as he pleases. But what if you had a guy who was basically working at the property from nine to five because that's his day job? You can have the property manager or the assistant property manager just walk in twice a day to check to make sure he's doing his job. And you can pressure him and say, I need to show this unit by tomorrow morning. So even if you have to stay late today, this laminate needs to be completed because come tomorrow at eight o'clock, I'm going to send in a cleaner and nine o'clock, I'm showing this unit. How do you do that with people that don't work for you? Yeah, certainly cannot. Now, syndication is definitely a great strategy, but it's something I think you need to build up to. So what is the best way for a millennial who's looking to get started in real estate that's working a corporate job? What is the best way for them to get started? Well, one of the paths I think is to consider actually being an equity partner with some of the syndicators out there. There's there's very severe SEC consequences. So you need to learn more about this, but there are a number of syndicators that will actually invite you in and you can do investor management for them. You definitely have to play other roles as well, which they know and they'll help you with that as well. So you play some kind of roles once the property is purchased, your primary role before the property purchase is investor management. And I think that's a very, very good place to start. Everybody has investors around them. Anybody who says they don't simply don't know what they're talking about. There's investors everywhere. There's more than 2 million accredited investors in the US and they all want to place money. So in my mind, that is potentially a path to go to. I'm not a big fan of buying properties in expensive places like New York or California. I live in California. I love California. I just don't invest here because in my mind, cash flow is important. Appreciation is equally important. The problem is in New York and California, you're dependent on just appreciation, which is a bad strategy in my opinion, especially towards the end of the cycle, right? This is a very mature real estate cycle. We're definitely in the seventh or eighth inning, if not the ninth. And in, in this kind of a market, you know, making an appreciation bet is a very problem sort of challenge. So I would encourage people to look outside of their area, look uh, look at the Sunbelt markets, which are growing much, much faster. I really like that first strategy that you mentioned. And I want to dive into that a little bit more because it not only helps would help a new investor get a piece of a deal, but it would also help them. I mean, I'm sure they would learn a ton from being involved in that. So how could somebody find an opportunity like that? Where Where should they look and how can they get involved? Well, there's two or three different strategies, right? One of the things is there's a number of conferences each year that happen in the United States where people who have deals go there to make connections with people that could raise equity for them, right? And so I'll just reel off some of those. Uh, There's Dave Lindahl's Ultimate Partnering Conference that happens in Boston. There is Michael Blank's Dealmaker Live Conference that is either in Washington or in Dallas. There's Jake and Gino's conference that happens in Orlando or Nashville. Uh, and then there's the um, the capital raising conference that happens in Denver. You can Google all of these. And I think if you go to these conferences and talk with people that have projects already, then you're not finding the deal at all. The deal exists. The deal is in contract. The deal has a beautiful pitch deck. The deal has an uh, a investment summary. All of that is done. Your job is to take it from there 
and bring in investors and play other roles. They'll typically give you other roles that you'll probably be asked to help with due diligence. You'll probably be asked to help with marketing. There's probably, you know, investor management tasks after the property is purchased that you're going to have to work on. But what's nice is that you don't really need to know these things because the syndicator who is looking for additional equity already knows these things. And he has a person assigned to kind of help the millennials through it, right? And again, a lot of millennials think that they don't have access to equity, which I find to be nonsensical. I think that's just a uh, limiting belief. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is what if somebody really likes the strategy and likes what we're talking about, but they don't think that they, they think they can do the part once the purchase, the property is purchased. They think they can handle all of that, whatever's thrown at them. But what if they don't know how to raise capital? Is that still a strategy they could implement? Yeah. So firstly, at least one of those conferences is called Raising Capital, right? So there's 50 plus speakers there telling you how to raise capital using different techniques, right? So uh, I'm teaching at the Raising Capital Conference this Saturday, and I'm going to be talking about two channels. I mean, there's dozens of channels of raising money. The two that I'm going to talk about are Meetup and, and Facebook, using those two channels to raise money. But there's so many different strategies that 50 guys, there's 52 speakers I've heard at this conference. So you've got your choice of stuff. Somebody's talking about LinkedIn. Somebody else is talking about, uh, you know, you're basically going to yacht clubs. Somebody else is going to talk about automation so that, you know, you're you're automating the process of raising money. Somebody else is going to talk about paid ads. There are so many strategies of raising money. There's books out there. Amazon has a whole bunch of books on how to raise capital. I, In my mind, raising capital may seem daunting, but it is exponentially easier than the million things you need to do to find properties, put them in contract, pay earnest money, find a key sponsor, and then find equity because you still have to do that, right? So this strategy takes all of those away and you're just raising equity. Just make sure that you're following SEC guidelines and, and remain compliant. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. 
Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high-yield-account. All right, back to the show. And you mentioned limiting beliefs a few minutes ago, and I want to go back to that a little bit. What have you found to be some of the biggest hurdles for new real estate investors getting started and how can they overcome those? Well, I think that I think the biggest belief that I hear is, well, there's all these other guys that are better than me and have more experience and more money and more track record. How can I ever get started? I think that particular limiting belief has a very simple answer. How do you think those people got started, right? Wasn't there somebody ahead of them when they got started? They still got started. It's fair to say to yourself, look, my first deal is going to be harder than my second one, and my second one is going to be harder than my third. That's okay to say. But when you start saying, I can't do it because these guys are better than me, you're simply saying Google cannot exist because Yahoo was already there. You're saying that anyone and everyone that got started in business could not start because somebody in that same business already existed. It's just a limiting belief. People start new businesses all the time. Real estate is no different. Yeah. I mean, Facebook. Look at Facebook. Facebook was not the first social media. Do you remember MySpace? It's ridiculous how the being first is, is sometimes doesn't mean anything. What's beautiful is in the real estate syndication business, it's not like Facebook, right? So right now, if I ask, like, let's say I ask a thousand people in America, name your number one, you know, uh, name the number one social network in the US. All of them will say Facebook, okay? Or some of them might say Instagram, but really there's just going to be really two picks, right? Between these people. The key is if you take 1000 random investors in the US and say, name your favorite syndicator, you will get 500 responses. What that means is the market is so fragmented that the ability for new entrants is exponentially easier than, let's say, somebody doing a new uh, social media app because there's there's no brand, right? A thousand people will give you 500 answers. So there is no incumbent. It's just a fractured market. It's like when you open a laundry store, you don't worry about there being some superstar laundry store that everybody loves. Well, real estate syndications like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty involved in in real estate, and I couldn't name my favorite real estate syndicator. So, yeah, I completely agree. And to your point, Instagram's owned by Facebook. My point is, in technology, when you start something new, you have a huge hurdle. You've got to convince everybody that they've got to got to get off their favorite network and join yours. No such hurdle exists in real estate syndication. There is nobody in real estate syndication that has five percent of the market. There's nobody that has one percent. What are you worried about? Yeah, it's all about the mentality of abundance rather than scarcity. Well, I think you have to combine the abundance mentality with massive action. You also need to understand that part of abundance and part of massive action is fake it until you make it because that's what Steve Jobs did. That's what Bill Gates did. They faked it until they, they make it. You have to tell your mind, I may not be there yet, but I'm going to get there. And that has to be enough for your mind for you to be able to take that massive action. Yeah, I I agree about the massive action. We had a couple episodes ago, we had Gary John Bishop on the show and he he said the exact same thing that massive action is all that really matters when it comes to it cuz action is the only thing that's going to change change anything and that's a it's actually a common thread that I've seen throughout this podcast is that a lot of the guests that we've had on the show have said action is the biggest key to success. So guys, if you're listening to this, note that down and and really try to go out there and take action. Now, I want to talk about having a mentor because in the real estate space, it seems that it's really important and a lot of experts recommend getting a mentor. How can an aspiring real estate investor find a mentor, You know, maybe a syndicator that would mentor them? So the short answer is, how are you putting yourself out there? Okay, There are so many ways to put yourself out there. there one method of mentor selection is go to a bunch of people that you like and say, would you mentor me? I don't favor that approach. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I think it's problematic. The best way to do it is to put yourself out there. If you're into meetups, go to the top five meetups. And every single time you go to the meetup, make sure you're early and make sure you're last to leave. Because what you and and make sure that when you're early there, only the uh, the the owner of the meetups there, right? Nobody else has walked in yet, and so that's your chance to talk with him. That's your chance to help. That's your chance to say, "Do you want me to move these desks? Do you want me to set this up? Can I hook up the projector and the laptop for you? How can I help you?" Right? Don't just say, "How can I help you?" Say, "Do you want me to do X? Do you want me to do Y? You know, should I sit at the front and and sign people up? Offer help, but offer discreet, specific help. And if he says no, Nothing's happened. He just said no. The key is that you have to inject yourself. If you're the one sitting at the front when people come in, you now have the chance to number one, know exactly who that person is because you're in the next to the sign-up list. So what you're doing is you're doing that. You have the sign-up list. You know what that person's face was like. Now when throughout the meetup, people are talking, you figure out who the movers and shakers in the room are and you connect with them. And once again, you offer them very specific help. The way to get mentors is to offer significant amount of help to those mentors, something that truly helps them. And then the mentorship comes very naturally. They just gravitate towards it. Uh, I had a guy, his name's Eric Blue. He's now our director of social and local. And Eric was basically what Eric did was follow everything I've said for the last three minutes. And he ended up being an equity partner in all of our projects because he started, he took a step, then he took a second, and then he took a third. He didn't really worry about the fact that when he took the first step, he didn't get anywhere. He took the second, he took the third. So when you're looking for mentors, don't just profile mentors. Figure out what they're doing and figure out how you're going to help them in whatever they're doing. Yeah. I mean, at the at the core of it, it's building a relationship. You're building a real relationship and you have to remember that. You can't go in expecting anything and, and expect a real relationship to form. I have people that send me an email and say, will you mentor me? That is the content of the email, right? Guess what I'm doing? Hitting the delete button. 
Yeah, that's definitely not not a great way to build a real long-lasting relationship. Now, I want to talk about how you find good markets to invest in. I'm familiar with your strategy, and what I like about it is that it's rooted in data. It's not based on someone's opinion of an area. It's based on hard data. Can you walk us through your strategy for finding great markets to invest in? Sure. So the the strategy is based on the fact that there's these 800-pound gorillas in the room when you're looking at properties. These 800-pound gorillas are basically demographic gorillas, okay? And they affect everything you do. They affect your rent. They affect your delinquency. They affect your appreciation. And the, I, I believe that there are five of these demographic gorillas. And here they are. And I'll, I'll come back to them, so don't worry about the, the speed. Number one, population growth. Number two, uh, income growth. Number three, job growth. Number four, home price growth. And number five, crime reduction. When you measure the size of these gorillas for every single property and every single city that you're looking at, you become much better investors because you're a data-driven investor. You're not a speculator. You don't speculate, right? And when a property or or a city breaks those rules, you say, well, you know, this is a nice property, but I'm looking for better cities, the best cities. And the only way for me to do that is stick with my rules. So when you're looking at population growth, you want at least a minimum of a 1% a year population growth. One and a quarter percent would be better. At the end of this podcast, I'll show you exactly where to get that data. But what's key is you need about a one and a quarter percent population growth because that one and a quarter percent population growth then drives roughly a two and a quarter percent growth in people's you know household income. So you want their household income to increase by 2% to a quarter percent, somewhere in that range, right? And I'll give you the specific ranges later in the, later in the podcast. Then when your population's rising and there's competition for the same number of units in a city with more and more people coming in, that tends to push up incomes and income tends to push up home prices. And you want the home prices in a metro to at least go up by two and a half percent in a year. I'm usually a fan of more like three percent a year increase in home prices. And these days, that's not hard to find in the last eight years. But keep in mind, the method that I'm going to show you measures all the way from 2000. So it's going to include the 2001 dip. It's going to include the 2008 crash. And then it's going to include the subsequent 2009 to 2019 run or 2011 to 2019 run. So it's, it's got some good periods and some bad periods. But over that time, you know, I want to make sure that the place that you are in has at least a 3% annualized home price growth. And some of those years are obviously going to be negative, right? They're going to be negative home price growth, 2008, 2009, 2010, 11 will all be negative. So that's that's the first three. We've talked about population growth and income growth and home price growth. The fourth one is jobs. And I'll show you where to get the jobs. But with jobs, here's here's the basic metric. 2% job growth usually supports 2% rent growth. 3% job growth, you're really, really happy because you're getting job, you're you're getting your rent growth, which is probably more like 3% a year, and you're getting appreciation. Why? Because everybody has a job, everybody has a good job, and now they're all fighting for the same real estate. The fifth one is crime reduction. And there's a way using a website called city-data to measure the crime in a particular city and figure out what the benchmark is, right? So firstly, you want crime to be low. Second, you want it to be going downwards. So both of those are in a single line on a city data page for any city in America. You can just look left to right and go, yep, going down, very nice and smooth decline in crime. That's awesome. And below a 500 benchmark, that's the benchmark that I've set. And you basically look at those areas and you're safer. So I'm not saying this is the best system. I know it's not foolproof. It doesn't work 100% of the time, but a data-driven system will probably put you in the right direction 90 plus percent of the time where most investors are just guessing. 
right? It's just constantly investors guessing and guessing and guessing. And that's what usually leads them in the wrong direction because they think they're investors, but they are not investors. They are speculators. I mean, if you're not using data and you're just taking the opinion of somebody that lives there, that's really subjective. And I've, I've seen a lot of investors do that where they'll talk to real estate agents that live in that area and they'll talk about what the agent is seeing. And that agent might be thinking one thing's actually happening, but if you look at the underlying data, that might not be the actual picture. So if you're looking at true, real, hard data, it, it's hard to argue with what's actually happening there. So where do you get all this stuff, right? So I just talked about the metrics, but where do you get them? So firstly, there's a beautiful Excel spreadsheet that has five metrics for city level, which we talked about. And then it has five even more important metrics at the neighborhood level, which are even more important because you could go to a great city and end up investing into a war zone, right? So there's five metrics that I gave you for city. There's five metrics for neighborhood. Those are all mentioned in a beautiful spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet tells you exactly where to get the information. The spreadsheet is stored at www.multifamily.com multifamilyu.com. Don't forget the U, multifamily followed by the letter u.com slash toolkit. So hopefully you can include that in the show notes. So you go to the toolkit and you scroll down to section seven and you'll see a spreadsheet and then you'll see a Word document. That Word document will have all the rules that I gave you, but they're expanded. Things like, how do I use this system next year? Because wouldn't that range need to grow? Because the number you know, now it's another year added in. So how do I use it next year? How do I use it five years from now? How do I use it for larger cities that grow slower? How do I use it for smaller cities that tend to grow faster? All of those rules are in the Word doc, the Excel spreadsheet, all of that at multifamilyu.com slash toolkit. It's free. The actual implementation is a 90-minute video course, and it is at udemy.com. That's www.udemy.com. Just search for my name, Neil Bawa, or the direct link is udemy.com slash realfocus. One word. Go there. The course is 49 bucks. Type in the coupon code MAGIC49, all caps, MAGIC49, one word, and it will turn the course free for you. So go take that course, and in, in a video tutorial, I'll I'll explain all of those 10 metrics and exactly where to find them, exactly how to use them, and it'll be free for you forever. There's no pitch in this course. I don't even get your email address. It's just my gift to you. That's a very great offer, Neil. Thank you for that. Their listeners, I definitely will put all of that in the show notes for you to check out. Definitely take advantage of it. I've actually put this strategy into action myself and I've purchased a few rental properties using Neil's strategy. So I know firsthand that it definitely works and I highly recommend you go check it out. The key thing is that it's it's great for those people that are not looking to syndicate, people that are not looking to place passive investments. I want to be active. Great. Okay, here's a strategy, right? And you don't have to go buy any course. You don't have to pay any mentor. It's just learn and implement. It doesn't get much better than that. So what is a common piece of advice that you often hear experts giving about real estate investing that you don't think is necessarily true? I think the first thing that I hear more and more often these days is people saying, well, you know, because the nation it is aging and millennials are so burdened with, you know, student debt, you know, uh, we think that even if a recession comes, you know, rentals are going to do well. I can tell you whether it's single family rentals or it's multifamily rentals, there's no reason why the rental market would not take a hit for a recession. I do not want you guys to start off on the wrong foot thinking that you're in some magical fairyland where nothing ever goes wrong simply because the millennials don't have money to buy homes or simply because people are getting older. That's nonsense. The data does not suggest anything like that. 
be prepared for the fact that when the next recession comes, whenever the heck it comes, it's been coming for six years now, might be coming for the next six as well. When it comes, you'll get hit. That's no reason not to invest in real estate, but that's a reason to be cautious then. That's a reason to have extra reserves. That's a reason to be careful and honest with your investors. They're going to appreciate your honesty. So I hear a lot of people have these stars in their eyes where they think that something magical has happened where rentals will only ever go up. And they even tell other people on Facebook about it. And I find it to be nonsensical. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Today's show is sponsored by Public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate out there, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Marcus, a higher rate than Wealthfront, a higher rate than Betterment, frankly, a higher rate than Capital One, a higher rate than Ally, a higher rate than Barclays, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So, if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing, 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024, and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing member of FINRA-SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into a partner bank where they can earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither Public Investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. Is there anything about investing in the cities that you recommend that would help through a downturn? Do those cities, because they're so, because they have those characteristics, do they do better in downturns? 
I'd say they the, the downturn might be slightly shallower, but no, I don't expect that to be a lot better. What I do expect is that the upturn after the downturn in those cities will be sharper and will be will last a lot longer. So yes, you get the benefits, but during the recession, most cities kind of sort of resemble each other. They're they're not substantially better. They're going to be slightly better, I think. But I think at the end of a recession, a city like Phoenix is likely to recover much faster than a city like Cleveland because the demographics of Phoenix are across the board better. So if this impending downturn is coming, why would an investor invest now versus potentially waiting on the sidelines until that time comes and then jumping in? Because the biggest opportunity is to buy the dip. Okay, you can't buy the dip at that point of time. You can't raise enough money. You've got to get in now. So by the time the recession comes, maybe it's coming in 18 months, you've got a pool of investors and you can convince them, oh, investors, here's the dip. Here's the buying opportunity. Do you think that it makes sense to build your credibility in the middle of a recession? No, build it now and you'll have the money to buy in that dip. That is so important. And it makes so much sense when I say it, but people are like, I'm just going to wait until the dip. Well, where are you going to get the money in the dip? Nobody wants to invest at that point of time unless they already have a relationship with you, in which case they'll invest because it'll make sense to them that you're buying in the dip. Those relationships have to be built now while it's easy to find investors. What if somebody isn't raising money from an outside investor? What if somebody has $25,000, dollars that they're going to put into a small duplex or triplex or even a quadplex and just use their own money? Should they wait for the dip? If your only strategy is to invest your own money, I think it makes sense. Yes. Wait. Got it. So what has been your biggest mistake in your real estate investing career? And if you could do it over, what would you do differently? I think my biggest mistake has been not looking at the data. This data-driven approach that I have didn't just, I didn't just wake up one day and said, I want to be the mad scientist of multifamily. I made mistakes. I bought in bad places. My investors suffered. I suffered. If I could do something over again, I would be more careful buying in markets that are low growth, slow growth, or no growth, because that caused a lot of stress for me and a lot of stress for my investors. So if you could go back and do it again, you would start by using more data right from the beginning? Using more data and really focusing on market quality. We didn't focus as much on market quality and that hurt us and and it also hurt our investors. Along the similar lines, Neil, what is a common mistake that you see new investors make? One of the common mistakes that I see them make is that they don't believe that they can use other people's money. I see a lot of rich technologists that have jobs at Google and they just keep throwing money into projects. My question is, if you're confident enough to be investing your hard-earned money, why would you not want to bring an investor in at parity and say, I'm investing $100,000, I want an investor to invest $100,000? You know how easy it is to convince people to do that? Obviously, when I'm raising $35 million a year, I'm not investing half of that from my own pocket. I'm not even investing 5% of that from my own pocket, right? And I'm still able to convince investors. Don't you think you have a much easier play to say, well, you know, I'm going to put in 100, you're going to put in 100, he's going to put in 100. But now you've got economies of scale, right? You've got a property that's three times larger, even though you didn't put in three times as much money. I'm not talking about a syndication. I'm just talking about a bunch of friends getting together. Why wouldn't you want to involve other people and other people's money to grow your scale? That's a common mistake that people make. They stick with the single families. Since you mentioned single family there at the end, and that's a residential property, anything up to four units is also considered residential. So I'm assuming that you're only looking at things bigger than a fourplex. Is that correct? 
Well, it could be a fourplex. I mean, you know, it's like I have $50,000 to invest. Well, I'm going to take 50 from this guy and 50 from that guy. The three of us will get to- together. Now we have $150,000. We're going to buy a $550,000 quadplex instead of buying a $150,000 single family. So it could be a quadplex. There's nothing against that. Do you have any books or resources that you'd recommend to a new real estate investor that wants to learn about raising capital? You mentioned your courses or your course earlier, which I think is fantastic for finding good markets. But how about maybe more specific about raising capital or just using other people's money to buy real estate deals? Well, I think books only get you so far. I find that most books that I read are fairly shallow. They give you a lot of concepts, but they're not giving you implementation. I think that you should uh, invest in your own education. One of the, the key things is that, you know, paying nothing for education means that you believe that for some reason, real estate investing is easier than going to college. Did you expect people to give you completely free college? No. In the same way, do you expect people that are in the trade to give you their time for free? No. So I think investing in education is really key. I find that there's just too much of a focus on, well, I'm going to listen to 50 podcasts and 200 books and I'm going to get done. The question is, I don't know what the percentage of people are that are done after that, you know, that, that get in the trade, but I think it's pretty low. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because I have been thinking, you know, the end of the year is coming. I started to think about what I want my New Year's resolution to be. And one of the things I think I'm going to make it this year is to not read a single book. I've read over 50 books for the last two years. Too many, my friend because it's very difficult. It it almost is too many because your mind is getting dragged in so many different directions, right? Read 10 books, watch 10 podcasts, then stop. Exactly. Yeah. I've been lucky or I've been, at least I took some action, which is good. But I think if I slow my roll with books, I think I can even take more action. So that's going to be what I'm going to do going into 2020. So I think that's great advice. If you were to summarize everything that you've learned over your investing career into just one piece of advice, what would that advice be? Well, number one, data beats gut feel 100% of the time. And, and second, whatever you cannot measure, you cannot manage. It's only a mirage. If you think that you can get away with not measuring something and managing it successfully, it's just a mirage. Neil, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Where can the audience go to learn more about you? So we do, uh, the best way to connect with us, it, we have two different ways to connect with us depending upon what you like to do. If you like websites, the magic of, we have multifamilyu.com, that's multifamily followed by the letter u.com. There's over 40, 45 webinars from experts in every area of real estate, not just multifamily stored. There's a student housing people there, there's senior housing people there, there's, there's you know lenders there, there's lawyers, brokers, all kinds of interesting information, data analytics providers, they're all there underwriting tools are there. So check out multifamilyu.com. For those that like their information in real time, we have a group called Magic of Multifamily. So just go to Facebook and type Magic of Multifamily. So those are your two ways. I'm one of those people that Neil mentions that's posting in the Magic of Multifamily Facebook group uh, frequently. So I know myself that it's a great group and uh, I recommend you go check it out. I recommend you check out all of Neil's other resources as well. I'll be sure to put links to everything Neil just mentioned and everything we talked about in the show in the show notes so you guys can go dive into it further. Neil, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to the show today and being a part of the community. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you have subscribed and you're enjoying the show, it would mean so much to me if you would please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. You can also share what you've learned on social media and tag me in the post. I'm excited to connect with you all and hear all the amazing changes you're making in your lives. I look forward to seeing you again next week.
Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.